Should we shake it up? Yeah, let's shake it up. It's a new season. Yeah, new season. New rules. New us. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got glasses now. Uh, which, these were supposed to also a little bit help my color uh, vision. I don't think they do. No? You didn't cry when you put them on? No, I didn't have any kind of feeling. I mean, they're, they're like, you know, a little bit of a magnification. Magnification? Magnification? <laughs> this close? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, there's, there's like a magnification to it, but then they're also like, oh, yeah, and these are blue light. Um, these are blue light blocking. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So really, it'll help kind of balance out your, your color spectrum as well. I was like, oh, great. Oh, blue light filtering is different than... Yeah, color They're not colorblind corrective. Colorblind corrective. Yeah, these are not yeah. supposed to actually do that. But I was told that these would slightly help in that direction, and I noticed nothing. So I think I need to increase the size of the font on my phone because yeah. I'm getting to that age where my reading site is going. Oh, no. And I'm like, I'm fighting it very hard, but I had LASIK done like 10 years ago and they said around 40, your eyes are going to go out. But my eyes went out when I was like five. I was, I had glasses when I was five. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like, I think my eyes are going out now. Oh shit. What do I do? So I've been thinking about getting reading glasses Uh under the disguise of needing them to be blue light filtering lenses. Yeah. Cause you're always on your screen. Right. And so if I can wear these blue light filtering lenses, that's all they're going to be for. And they're secretly also reading glasses. Right. That's my... So, so you don't need anything for like distance. No, because that's what the laser is fixed. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, so so then you it could work as a, as a right. disguise. So yeah. I think I can get by for the next couple of years <laughs> claiming them to be blue light filter glass, lenses as opposed to reading glasses. Huh. I mean, besides the fact that you're recording this and... I've told this to multiple people. Okay. And everyone just is like, just make the font bigger on your phone. And I'm like, no. Yeah. I can't, uh, I can't do that. That's, a, that's like an acceptance thing. I, you know, it's like I, uh, something could be happening, but I refuse to accept it. Uh-huh. You know, because it's like, I'm not just going to go with, you know, time passing. No. I dictate, you know, uh, uh, no matter how uh, straight the gate nor charged with punishments the scroll, I am the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my soul. Um, is that from Evictus? Well, I mean, it's the poem that's read in Invictus, but it's not by anyone related to that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and I haven't. My heard- second guess was going to be Dead Poet Society. <laughs> I only watched that movie once and in high school, so I don't really have a good frame of reference on it. There was a funny SNL parody of it, mm-hmm. and it was when Fred Armisen was a guest host. Okay. And he gets fired from the school. And it's a really dramatic piece for like four minutes and like, like everyone's standing on their chairs on their desk and they're like reciting this poem from this book that they weren't allowed to read in this private school. Mm-hmm. And then the last kid finally stands up on his desk and he stands up and he's so tall that his head gets chopped off by the ceiling fan. <laughs> so his head is flying and then blood just starts spraying everywhere. <laughs> and it's just hilarious. Um, yeah, I uh, you know my opinions on SNL, hit or miss. I know, whatever. But I actually, I'm at, that reminded me of something, so I'm very glad you brought it up because I wanted to pick your brain about this, but I would have forgotten about it. Okay, if not for that interlude about Fred Armisen, and <laughs> although this is actually not related whatsoever, have you heard of and or have you seen a movie called The Beach Bum? No, you haven't heard of it. The Beach Bum. Is that the one with Matthew McConaughey? Yes. I've heard of it. I've not seen it. Okay. So first of all, just to speak to what a genius I am, it's like I watched it and I like I said to Tori, I was like, oh yeah, this was like one of those movies where not a whole lot happens, but you're supposed to draw some conclusion out of it like that movie Kids. And it turns out it it's was the same whole, director. Yeah. So it's like, first of all, I'm channeling the secret truth of the universe. Like, obviously. <laughs> um, but much like kids, and I can't really think of what is the other Harmony Corinne movie? I've, I've seen it. I think it's Spring Breakers. Spring Breakers. With, no, um, I didn't see that one. There was another one, though. Uh, he, this, uh, he did the weird one 
I don't remember what it, he's done. They're all weird. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, the point is I'm going to save you a bunch of time with the beach bum because I don't recommend to you or anybody else that you watch this movie. Gummo? No. Maybe I, maybe I haven't seen another movie of his except for kids. All right. Uh, continue. <laughs> anyways. Um, so the movie in general and I'm not sure if this is like because I don't pick up on nuanced things like, oh, that was purposeful. It was like a stylistic choice or something. You know what I mean? I don't I don't really pick up on that kind of stuff, uh-huh. uh, you know, because I'm the great unwashed, as uh, my father says. But um, but the movie, as far as I see it, is 90, 85 to 90 percent bad. Because it does this thing that I really can't stand where it introduces characters to drive a part of the plot and then it gets rid of those characters because that part of the plot is over. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have a plot of its own. It's just about this guy who uh, just does some drugs and drinks a lot and writes some poetry and like, you know, whatever. That's basically the movie. Uh But then things happen to him, but only as a byproduct of things happening to other characters. So he just kind of like floats on through you know what I mean? So, so the, there is no story. It's kind of like I was fucking furious when everyone was saying how great that movie The Greatest Showman was, right? Uh-huh. And then I watched it and I was like, there's no fucking plot here at all. Not a single thing happened. They sung through it and the songs were good, sure. But there wasn't any like, you know, rising action, you know, like. And, and right, was, right. And, and I get that maybe you're you're just trying to um, like go against the traditional plot structure or something. But I think that there are ways of doing that while still telling a story because that wasn't a story. The greatest showman was just a bunch of music videos smashed together. Right. That's exactly what that was. Yeah. And if the music wasn't good, I don't think it would be as well received as it is. No, absolutely not. Yeah. There's sing-alongs to that movie now. And that's so quick to have a sing-along. Yeah. I thought that usually happened like 20 years after the movie. Right. Right. So I, I know what you're saying. I, just, I was listening to a podcast, another podcast earlier today called uh, Just Shoot It. Uh-huh. And they were talking about Spring Breakers. And they were having the same thing. How this is a weird movie. How, how am I supposed to watch this movie? Yeah. And they were ta- I don't think they're talking about a Harmony, harmony movie. They're talking about like Legions on FX. I don't think I've heard of I it. It's a TV show. It's like an X-Men TV show. Oh, okay. Sure. I haven't seen it yet. Sure. And they're... they're uh, one of the guys went to see Spring Breakers, which was his last one before Beach Bum, and in the theater, and he happened to be in the theater, and he gave a warning to everybody, and he's like, all right, everybody, when you watch this movie, don't try to make sense of anything. Just sit there and let it wash over you and just experience the movie, and don't try to make any sense of it, because uh-huh. it's just going to be a bunch of random things. This is during Spring Breakers. Yeah. Okay. So I wonder if that would apply to this movie, Beach Bum. Maybe. Well... It's okay. It's actually great that you say that because it brings the point that I'm about to make. It like drives it home that much better because so I was watching the movie for the most part. I like wasn't I stopped kind of paying attention, not like paying attention, but I was just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, like something happens to his wife because like he's married in mm-hmm. the like, which also blows you away. Uh, so then he has to do something else and then he meets a guy while doing that something else so then he has to do something else and then it all comes back to this other character and then so it's it's all just driven by like different things that are going on adjacent it's not really like a story nobody changes nobody has an arc or anything like that but there's this scene and i don't know if this is you know maybe i attribute it then to um to uh harmony's writing or maybe Matthew McConaughey's performance or maybe a combination of the two or maybe the screenplay was written by somebody else or I don't really know like who should be thanked for this part but there's a speech Uh, the scene is probably only like two minutes but it's somewhere in the tail end of the movie like all of the movie has happened Uh right all of the movie has happened all there is left is like these little kind of like wrap it up kind of thing but but it doesn't even draw any conclusion that's that's what i mean there is no story so there is no like finality to it right but there's this scene where um the beach bum himself matthew mcconaughey moondog is his character uh starts is like being interviewed because 
he, uh, you know, spoiler, I guess, like at the end, he just whips together this this book of poems. And it's it's like internationally acclaimed because he's one of these fucking idiot savants, you know, uh. what I mean? not like a Forrest Gump type, but more like a uh, like a like a. Uh, what's that guy's name? Everyone's crazy about um, Elton John. Maybe I don't really know enough about Elton John to, but probably like, didn't he do a bunch of ketamine and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So kind of, and like he can that. play piano by ear like as a kid. Oh, uh, kind of like, uh, no. So never mind. Basically there's I, this really great speech where the guy's like, you know, uh, uh, and I'm paraphrasing. He's like, you know, how'd you, how'd you pull it off? And he's like, you know, I could tell you because fuck his performance. It's like I'm such a McConaughey fan, but I can't tell if it's actually him or if it's like whoever wrote his lines that maybe it's a combination of the two. Uh-huh. Probably he's like, you know, I could tell you that I'm trying to figure out the illusory underpinnings of my peripheral existence. I could tell you this, whatever. I could tell you that I'm a reverse paranoiac and I think that the universe is conspiring to make me happy. But it's really a lot more simple than that. I like having fun. And then he like goes into this whole thing about how he's just like, I like this, I like that, I like that kind of stuff. And then when I get all this stuff going together, you know, my mind's just working and then like the words come out and it's like a gift, you know? So he's like talking about that. And the guy's like, next question. He's like, um, what makes you different than all these other people? And he's like, are you kidding me? Like uh, all those people on the mainland rushing towards their red light, you know, blah, blah, blah. So he gives this whole speech and it was like the first time in the movie that I'm really fucking clued in. And it comes and it goes like that because immediately on the other end is just more inanity like i don't give a fuck about it but now that you said that it really kind of makes sense what that's all about then Uh because his whole point in that little interview section where he's giving kind of like a speech and it like is really meaningful for some you know weird reason his whole point is that he likes to have fun and like life is hard enough. And why are we tripping ourselves up and making things more complicated than it needs to be? Like just, just enjoy, like just do you know, whatever. So with that construct on the movie that like, don't try and make sense of it, just kind of do it. Uh-huh. It's like, that's kind of the thing. Maybe that's, and I think the reason why that speech to me sort of made my hair stand up and like made like had some meaning into it is because that's the kind of dichotomy that I think I struggle with all the time. Right. I'm living with two very mixed messages and I don't know how to weigh them Uh because on the one hand, there's a big chunk of me that's been raised with this idea or like kind of bred with this idea, not just from my parents and not just from my schooling, but also from the books I read and the podcasts I listen to and the music I listen to and everything. That's just like, the obstacle is the way like these things are coming to deter you and you just have to like keep grinding, put in the, put in the work a little earlier, stay up a little later, work a little harder, make, you know, realize struggle as part of it. And so there's that part. And so then I think of this, you know, these situations that I have at work or something like that, where it's like, man, I'm really not getting where I want to, or why the fuck is that? And I just think, I just got to buckle down. I got to give it even more. I got, you know, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. But then there's the other side where they say that uh, most people's most people's deathbed regret is that man, I wish I hadn't spent so much time working on shit that I didn't care about, right? And I wish that I had done something with you know purpose and meaning. And man, I wish I had spent more time with my family. I wish I was happier, like that kind of stuff. And that kind of makes me think, well, maybe then I am aiming at the wrong stuff. You know what I mean? Maybe. Maybe it is more important to to make sure that like I'm being good to the people around me, mm-hmm. and maybe it's more important that I'm fostering this really great relationships, and maybe it's important that I'm doing something that while it isn't all that lucrative, it makes me happy in my day to day or it gives me some sort of purpose or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I have these two things that I kind of like struggle with inside, and so for some reason, that one little moment on film though that like two minutes was just like. I don't know. It made a solid case for the other side, which rarely happens for me because I'm right. a very tightly wound individual. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So 
I so I was just curious if you had seen it, and then obviously, uh, if not, I don't want to recommend watching the movie. I'm probably not going to watch the movie, but I'll definitely Google just for the Matthew McConaughey speech in the beach bum. Yeah, or like if you have Hulu, you could just jump to that point. Okay, because you can find that scene on YouTube because I've played it over a million times, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's uh, because it's on YouTube, it had to be sped up. Like it's played at one and a half speed or two two times speed because otherwise it has copyright infringement. Right. And that takes away because there's this great music in the background. So you really got to watch it at single speed. All right. All right. If it's on the Hulu, I'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, it's on Hulu and just skip to like most of the way. <laughs> like the movie's almost over by the time this comes right. to play. All right. But anyways, uh, so that's kind of what I'm trying to reconcile at the moment, which which is something I think that I struggle with often. Like mm-hmm. this is a recurring theme for me. It's not like, you know, but as with most great problems in life or, you know, like a door that's stuck or something like that, you don't get it on the first try. No. You have to like, you know, keep pushing at it, keep pushing at it, jiggle the handle, and then eventually you get in. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's definitely something to think about. I mean, what is the purpose of, you know, if, if you have to, work to get through life is that's that really living it's working yeah and to live you need to work though right to have a life and so it's like finding that balance of both and making time for both that's a that's a tough thing to juggle with yeah i mean because that's sort of when i when i talk to for instance like my parents about my current like uh, like i don't care about what i'm doing right now at all i mm-hmm. just happen to also be good at it you know what I mean? It's it, but but I think that those two items are conflated right. often. I'm just I'm better <clears throat> than the peers that I work with, but that has nothing to do with my enjoyment of it, or like I'm not even really putting my full attention into it. Now. And if that did make you feel good about being better than everyone else, you'd be like a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, probably. If that's like I'm better than everyone, if that's and your, that your gives driving me satisfaction, force, yeah, no, ugh. that's not my driving force. Get out of here right now. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so that's kind of the thing. It's like I, I'm like okay, but I don't exactly know. I don't know. I, that's that's the thing that I struggle with. I think more than most people. Like I'm really kind of deficient in that way, and I have to own up to the fact that I'm kind of in a deficiency. That somehow some people found stuff that they like to do earlier on than I did, mm-hmm. and I don't really know how that happened, but I feel like I'm kind of behind the curve. Yeah, well, you just gotta. I think I have to do more stuff. You have to do more stuff. You have yeah. to have hobbies. You have to try things. Yeah, you know, go out to eat at a weird restaurant every now and then. Sign up for some weird weekend class. Isn't this the plot to Yes Man? Probably, but it's. Uh, I think it's more common than you think. I think a lot of people have, especially fathers, that are gave up. They only work. They just show up. They work. They you know wake up in the morning. They go to work. They come right. home. They eat dinner all angry, and they tell you to do your homework, and then everyone goes to bed. <laughs> I feel like that's a lot of people's yeah you know upbringing, and so trying to get approval from a father figure is going to require you to be a worker, like a hard worker, nonstop working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. It, uh, like, but why, why do you, why that's like a weird approval seeking thing that's planted in the back of our head. Right. But yeah. it's just something bizarre to deal with. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, and, and it's like, that's, the, and that's the part that then, cause now I consider like, well, shit, was the beach bum a good movie or was it not? Because it made me fucking feel something, but the whole thing was goddamn shit. Like, right, you know right. what I mean? It's like, what the fuck right. happened here? Well, I think I think that's a, a lot of things we consume have that quality to it. Mm. It's like there's a bunch. There's like a hundred pages of fluff in like one paragraph. Yeah, where you need to be like, oh, now it all makes sense. Yeah, you might be like fully checked in at that time, and just, or yeah. or like with advice. Now you know, hundred people can give you advice, but mm-hmm. until you hear it from the right person, yeah. you're not gonna believe it. Yeah, or I, apply it. I realized that the other day I was giving uh, Tori advice, like I was telling her something to do, and I was like, I realized that what I was saying applied just as evenly to myself as it did to her. And it's like I need, I have this kind of weird filter system where I can't take advice at all uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like I, that's also a skill i need to work at right anyway speaking of so that's my review of the beach bum interesting <laughs> it's 
It sounds like it's worth a, a look at that speech, at least. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, hey, make the conclusion yourself. Maybe I'm missing something totally, but I didn't get it. I'll, I'll probably give it a go. I'm running out of things to watch. Yeah, I mean, you can only watch, uh, I don't know, what is your deal? Let's see, you can only watch Commando followed by uh, uh, Chips you know, so much. I, don't, I, I, don't, I was kind of winging it on Chips. Yeah, you're winging it on Chips. I'm trying to remember what TV shows you watch. Um, Frasier. No, I don't, want, I don't watch Frasier as often as I should. <laughs> yeah, Frasier is great. Um, what other, what other uh, things in life have you experienced? that have taught you little nuggets of knowledge that have like inspired you to get to where you are today. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think I've, I can't remember if I've talked about it on the podcast or not, but there I came prepared with notes. Oh, nice. This, uh, that was a forced segue. I hope (laughs) I hoped it didn't sound forced. No, actually, that was a remarkably natural transition. You know what I mean? It's like I didn't actually expect us to get there by a, by a natural segue, but that was a remarkably natural segue. I thought that whole story was a setup to this conversation. No, it was organic. Oh, interesting. I really did just want to talk to you about that movie. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I think I've talked about this book on the podcast before, but I might have not. It all kind of depends because it was right around the same time that I was reading it. Short book. Um, and it's like, you kind of have to, did you ever read like the grapes of wrath? I, yeah. Like Steinbeck. Yeah. It was or like any of those books like yeah. that. You know how you kind of have to tolerate all this, like not ye old, like Renaissance language, like not like Shakespeare, but you have to deal with like older English. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's unfortunate. It's like that, but, um, it's called what makes Sammy run. Have I talked about this? No, I've, I've, no, you have not talked about this. Okay, so what makes Sammy run is this book about um, this guy who just sort of is a writer in Hollywood, but like a super like middle of the road type of one. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is before they were making talkies, <laughs> or <laughs> and um, or maybe they were talkies. Maybe they were just talkies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had just become talkies or something like that. Anyways, okay. So this is when there was this like that mass push just to like make stuff. So they were like hiring writers left and right to just like pump out scripts and like maybe they make them or maybe they don't. And uh, so there's this kid who works in like the mailroom or something like that. And he's just like all the time on it, playing the game, like meeting the right people, delivering the mail and doing the right stuff. And it's like he's always seems like really like jittery and high energy and stuff like that like the the author describes him as like always buzzing around and doing stuff and you see like much to the because he kind of like ruffles the the narrator's feathers because he's like a you know middle of the road writer like Uh and here's this upstart kid trying to you know fuck around with shit and saying that he's going to be a great writer one day but then much to the narrator's despair he actually is like progressing because he just keeps plugging at it like he does not stop he doesn't make really friends but he makes people that he, he knows are the right connections to be in the next room and stuff mm-hmm. like that so he ends up and he does unscrupulous things like buying somebody else's script for nothing saying that like ah oh, you're never going to make it here like you know just why don't i give you something just so you're doing okay for that script and then he ends up selling it for like a lot and getting called a genius uh-huh. like he does shitty things like that um so but then you see like he gets to this point in this career that's like unstable because he doesn't actually really have any talent. And he was like just buzzing around and he's completely like faltering and ultimately like, what is he doing it for? And, and you know, it's all kind of meaningless. So there was this quote in there that I pulled um, that this was when I was reading it, this was kind of the influential thing that, and actually, man, yeah, it pairs perfectly with this, uh, Harmony Corinne beach bum kind of thing that I've been going on for a second here. Um, it says what a tremendous and blinding light ambition can be when there is something behind it and what a puny flickering sparkler when there isn't. And it just reminded me of, um, like that is the same kind of trite advice that you get all the time throughout your life. That like, uh-huh. Oh, you got to do something with meaning, but it's like, you don't realize how important that is until you realize it's important. 
And for me, that only really is coming as more of a recent effect. But I remember being turned away from grad school and me not understanding why. Because like, oh, I was a 4.0 student and I worked in this lab and I got great letters of rec and all that kind of stuff. But the problem is, is you can't fake, you know, quote unquote passion. So on my statements of purpose, my essays and stuff like that, it must have just sounded hollow because it's like, did I actually have that real driving curiosity or was it just a puny flickering sparkler? Right. You know what I mean? So I think that's to me really influential because it's like, it doesn't matter. Like that's kind of what I have to learn the distinction of. It doesn't matter. I'm good at a lot of stuff. I know Uh that sounds like a brag, but it's not. I'm good at a lot of stuff. I can be good at a lot of stuff just because I don't know. I work hard or I do this or whatever. I don't know. But it ends up not having the same kind of net effect if it's not something that like matters. Right. I've been in a similar situation. There was like this film festival and you had to fill out like a, why are you a, why should we accept your film to yeah. this film festival? Mm-hmm. And I knew that there were only like two people applying to it. So I just wrote because, <laughs> but it was also like, it was a thing where it was, I didn't know why I didn't know my why I didn't know my, uh, how to define my passion. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to say, you know, what I thought made this, you know, what makes me a filmmaker with the story worth hearing. Yeah. So, uh, I feel like recently after writing that business plan, mm-hmm. I have more of a why and it's easier to, uh, explain and put on paper before I was kind of like, just because, and it's yeah. just like this cloud in your head of uh-huh. like, creativity and it's nothing that you can really focus into a, a thing to sell to other people. Mm-hmm. Cause that's not the thing you're trying to sell. The thing you're trying to sell is your product. Right. Do you find that also it's easier for you yourself to do the things that you're doing now? Than I it was before. I find it easier to make decisions because now there's a purpose behind every decision. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's actually the part that I've been trying to like, I don't know how you practice decisiveness, but I'm, I'm basically, I'm trying to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to start practicing decisiveness because like, for instance, the Marines teach something. And I think a lot of people do called the OODA, which is the OODA loop, Uh observe, orient, decide, act. But the key part to that is that you always have to, once you get the information that you get, you have to make a decision. My problem, because at the end of the day, do you ever have enough information for anything? No. Like you could be looking like, oh man, that car does look like a good deal. But you know, do you ever actually have enough information to, and for me, it's like, I always, I look at that as a very like glass half empty type of thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, I don't have enough information there. And then I just stall myself out. As opposed to, like, what are, and I don't mean to get, like, you know, metaphysical or, like, you know, whatever on this, but what are right decisions versus wrong decisions until something happens as a result of them? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you can't, you know what, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm getting into the plot of Minority Report. That's basically what, Yeah. you know what I mean? Because you can't be charged for a crime that you haven't really committed yet. Is it a crime? You haven't done it yet. You haven't done it yet. Yeah. So it's like, similarly, I haven't made a bad decision yet because I haven't made it until, you know what I mean? Until Mm -hmm. the net results come in. So I need to get better about that. So I'm, I like recently, um, wrote a blog post about practicing decisiveness, but I'm not actually sure how to do that. Yeah. I think I just have to start like answering questions and saying things with like a definitive, you know, whatever, and not kind of always leaving myself an out and then like really committing to things or maybe in the case of what I currently do, maybe not committing, you know, maybe mm-hmm. cause that is a commitment in a fact. It's a, <laughs> I'm working myself into logical holes here, but you get kind of what I mean. I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. Um, so, so what makes Sammy run? I think that was really influential. And then, um, I don't know if everybody has one of these in their life, but I certainly did. And I definitely don't feel like it's something I could be alone on. But um, there was this person I went to uh, 
high school with. Okay. Who will remain nameless for the inte- like for this podcast, but then you and I'll probably discuss it later <laughs> and I'll, and I'll <laughs> Okay. I'll spill some details. But basically this person like wanted to be a model and wanted to be an actor and did all these things. And I remember now this was like fast forward to this was maybe in college or maybe post college. I used to roll my eyes at their posts on social media and stuff about like, you know, with hashtags, this and like whatever Mm -hmm. actor model, blah, 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 whatever. But then because they kept doing stuff like that, they actually did start like it, it did make that transition. And I don't know where that happened, but somewhere along the way, because is there anything ultimately really special about this person? No, like, no, not really. Uh But somewhere along the way, there was kind of a conversion where before it was like, oh, they're trying too hard. Like, this is a, you know, and then then they actually legitimately became a model and like in like a. I don't know what the distinctions are, but like a legitimate one. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. Getting consistent paid work. And so it kind of blurred the lines between when that actually occurred. And it made me realize that I think we all can theoretically be in that before stage until we're not. And I think that I need to stop looking for the after stage based on whatever I'm doing now. Yeah. Because right now, even I'm in an after stage from where I was before. Like it may not, I don't really feel any different than when I still lived here in Tucson and I was like serving, but then also working at the gym and whatever. But I'm sure a lot has changed and I'm a lot more stable and like, I'm like, I have a lot more skill and acumen to my name Mm -hmm. so it's like i kind of need to stop doing shit like that you know what i mean and to me what i was curious about last week when i was like oh look let's find three things that were kind of really influential it's like i kind of think you're right about like people have to find like there's all advice pouring in left and right, and it's all about the right place and the right time. Uh-huh. So hopefully this, like, whatever you and I are, like, speaking to, maybe it'll save somebody a lot of time. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. But maybe not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So th- those were, like, my two primary ones, and they're kind of thematically similar, which I actually didn't intend to do because I was, like, just thinking about it in a in a lot, you know. Um, the other, I guess my third and final. Okay. Um would be um i guess another person uh i had this freshman english professor in uh in college who was the first person who really like treated me like an adult uh-huh you know what i mean because in high school you're still a high schooler you're a fucking kid and you know whatever and now that i see high schoolers now it's alarming how yeah. young they look yeah, it's crazy because it's like I don't know. Remember, it's, ama- it's amazing. It's amazing how young some of them look and how old some of them look. Yeah, because then you meet the ones that are like must have eaten too many growth hormones or something, and they're it's like it's like you can't be in the same thing, right? Like we can't have that happen as a society. I think we all need to agree that you need to be banished to Kramer Island. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, But anyways, Jake Seliger was the first person who, like, kind of treated me as an adult. And uh, he uh, has been actually on a lot of podcasts. Like, I was surprised to figure out that he was, like, friends with Tucker Max. Oh, wow. Yeah, which blew me away. But anyways, um, and he... uh, I think he was very influential, but again, I didn't really understand or get the uh, advice until much later, until like now-ish, maybe a, a few years back or whatever. But his whole thing was about being really well-rounded 
but not in the sort of way that like, oh, you got to take some trads and indivs to make you a well-rounded individual. Yeah. But kind of more like having intellectual curiosity about a lot of stuff about you. Like he invited me to his apartment and like he taught me that Chinese game Go. Okay. Like the one that's way more complicated than chess. Fuck, it's hard. It's like I didn't, you know, and like just showed me a bunch of stuff. And it's like that kind of intellectual curiosity has served me really, really well in life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And while I may, may be deficient in a lot of things, like I'm really def- deficient in like being decisive, for instance. Or I'm really deficient in like what's the purpose? Like I don't know how to do that and all that kind of stuff. One thing I'm definitely not deficient in is like an intellectual curiosity about the world around me. Right. And I think that in general, in a super, if you're looking for something that, you know, is really actionable advice, I think that that is something that's pretty critical because there are a lot of people I'm sure. In fact, I know of one who will also remain nameless who has worked at the same job that's super mediocre. And it's like, he doesn't push the limits at all because he is comfortable where he's at, but he's creeping up in years and like he is going to start enjoying this less and less and less, but he has gained no ground. Like he was in a good place when he was uh, 22 uh-huh. because he was making good money and like he had a very active social life. But eventually it's like it's just, you know, it's been uh, 12 years now. Wow. Yeah. So it's like that he hasn't. But nothing's changed. Yeah. And it's because of this lack of intellectual curiosity to like figure stuff out or like maybe have hard problems, but like do stuff or, you know, I'm actually really curious about that. Let me, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think that's the number one thing that I would advocate for the youths. Intellectual. Yeah. And and I don't mean, I don't mean intellectual curiosity, like, oh, go read Proust. I just mean like... (sighs) always it i have learned to always want to figure out more about mm-hmm. something you know what i mean i've i've learned to enjoy learning as weird as that is you know what i mean it's like it's the reason well it's not the reason but it's one of the many reasons that you and i i think get along really well is because you're always kind of like looking at like more and more resources you're looking at more stuff you're thinking about how can i do this better or like you were analyzing one short that you did or your mummy movie and then like yeah what can i learn from that for the next time you know what i mean it's like Mm -hmm. not everybody does that yeah you know what i mean so it's like that you know it doesn't always have to be a grind but you're always kind of thinking about the fact that you're writing stuff down now on on this on these boards i've been always writing stuff down on whiteboards have you yeah, not not like the specific. Yeah, I think you were the inspiration for me to get whiteboards. By the way, oh and, cool. Uh, so yeah, I guess my number four, <laughs> my number four <laughs> is Chris Scott because I got some whiteboards. But yeah, it's like you know, I, I think that the idea that you know you don't just good enough is good enough. You know what I mean? Right? Huh? That's an interesting one. But what are your uh, most influential, your greatest hits? Oh man, what are my greatest hits? It's hard to, it's hard to, I don't know. I didn't know how to really approach this and attack this. Yeah, I think the the beauty in it though is in the the vagueness. <laughs> well, as a filmmaker, I decided to attack this as a filmmaker. Okay. And so, uh, when I was finishing up uh, at Pima. Mm-hmm. I was an uh, intern for the script consultant here in town, the script doctor. He was also my screenwriting instructor. Is that Pima. anything like a spin doctor? So script doctoring is a thing in Hollywood where people send their scripts to a script doctor and they fix it. Oh, okay. Got it. So we have trouble with this scene. Uh, Carrie Fisher did a lot of uh, script doctoring for female characters because all the other screenwriters are men. And Carrie Fisher was a woman and she knew how to write for women. Oh. Uh, Nora... Roberts was another female writer. Nora Roberts. I think it was Nora Roberts or Nora Jones. No, Nora Jones is a musician. Right. Who's Nora Roberts? Um, she's a, you know what? I'm not going to sidetrack you. It's a a director type, but, uh, I didn't like the, the, his, he was a really good teacher, I guess. He was like really inspiring and, uh, supportive of all your ideas and trying to structure your idea in the proper way. 
And he had one thing from all his classes that I still remember is uh, explaining is evil. But while I was, uh, which is a good thing for storytelling, I think, and especially in movies, you can't explain stuff. Having talking heads explaining. Oh, like, like narration or what, what do you mean? Um, you, you, you know, when you watch a movie and you're watching a newscast and they're like, so-and-so was just arrested for 19 counts of murder. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, why don't you show that guy killing people and getting arrested? Right. As opposed to a news person saying, oh, okay. So, so it kind of pulls the punches because it's like you're, you're, it's laziness almost. Right. Okay. Got it. Right. Uh, you know how, uh, all these fugitive movies are always talking about the fugitive and these newscasts and they're giving like new information out and you're mm-hmm. like, well, how do they know this? Why are we watching this? How yeah. is, why is this, how is the news always talking about this one thing? Like that never happens in real life. Right. Yeah. yeah Why does yeah. it okay. happen in the yeah. movies? But anyway, in this internship, he sent me to this screenwriting expo in LA and there were two talks I wanted to go to three talks here I wanted to go to. And one of the talks was with this crazy guy. <laughs> His name was Dove SS Simmons. And he has this online program called the two day film school. And it looks very scammy. If you like go to his website, it looks very scammy. Like the, the layouts like from the 80s. Mm, it's just. It was made on like, uh, what is it called? Hotmail. Geosites. Yeah, yeah, geosites. That's what it is. He uh, has quotes on there from like Will Smith and Quentin Tarantino. And it's like, <laughs> is this real? This, is, this doesn't seem real. It just doesn't feel real at all. Mm-hmm. But uh, you go to his class and he's this very short guy. And he wears like. He dresses like Steven Seagal does with those Japanese oh, blouses. Oh, boy. And, and when you say short, because listeners probably don't realize this, but Chris Scott is like six foot eight inches or no, something four. ridiculous like that. Uh, he was short. He was, okay. He was, he was a, short. actually short. He was actually short. Yeah. I remember he started talking and one of the ladies asked him to speak up because he wasn't using the mic. And he's like, turned to this lady and he's like, you want me to speak up? There's a whole empty row right here. If you can't hear me, move up closer. And he's like, don't ask me to speak louder just because you can't hear. If you can't hear, move up closer and get closer. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, what is up with this guy? <laughs> it's like, what is up with this guy? Is this a good, should I be here? Yeah, it's like, should I even be in this room right now? It's like, should I be, like it's an experience though. So, um. He said a lot of really good things in that seminar that stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And it was, I pulled up one of the quotes and it was uh, filmmaking is not an art. He yells this by the way. Oh, so now you don't have to struggle to hear him. Now he's yelling. He's yelling. Well, he meant to make points. He emphasizes. Got it. He just yells emphatically, emphatically filmmaking is not an art. It's not called show art. It's called show business. And I'm like, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty, like, I, you don't think about it that way. Yeah, no, that's true. And you go into film school, they don't teach you anything about business. They teach you no. all about the art. Yeah. And so um, he, he had this advice to where you need a, you have this dream screenplay. You want to make a, a big time film director. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're not that guy. You're not going to do it right off the bat. You need some practice. So your dream screenplay that you've been spending 10 years on, stick that in a drawer and come up with a brand new movie idea. That's two people talking in a room for 90 minutes. He called it, uh, he said, you, you have to kiss it, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> and he's yelling all this stuff. <laughs> he's like, you want to make a hundred million dollar movie? You're not, they're not going to give you a hundred million dollars on your first movie to, to give you a hundred million, to be trusted with the hundred million dollar movie. They're going to, you need to make a, a $10 million movie first. But for people to give you $10 million, you need to make a $100,000 movie first. Right. Oh, and to get to 100000 okay, you yeah, should make yeah. a $10,000 feature first. And he had this thing about movies versus film. Because movies, um, to making a movie versus making a film, when you make a film, it's just like you're doing it for yourself. But if you're making a movie, you're, you're making something to sell popcorn and sugar right. and seats or something weird like that. It was just like, <laughs> this guy had like... He had sayings for a lot of stuff. This guy's he had so prolific. many sayings. And, but that, that whole thing was just this whole awakening. I was like, wait a second. Yeah, of course I'm not going to come out of the gate and out of the gate, get a million dollars. Yeah. 
10 million dollars or anything like that so that it took me a long time to figure out how to process that yeah and yeah, deal yeah. with that part mm-hmm. but it definitely was eye-opening and it, and it prevented me from moving to la or even considering it because i figured if i moved to la i was going to get stuck in this job that i didn't want to do but i'd still be in the business yeah but it wouldn't be doing what i wanted to do do you ruminate about that often no not at all i never i don't regret that at all see you're an uda guy i'm an uda guy so uh that was my first like like filmmaking eye-opening experience uh-huh the second one was the following year at the same expo Man, you're really getting your dollars worth at these expos. I didn't even pay for them, which was great. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, the only and I, I stayed with my friend who lived down the street, so it wasn't I didn't have to pay for a hotel or anything. Nice. It was, uh, but we met this guy that wrote this book on screenwriting called Save the Cat. Okay. Now, Save the Cat moment in a movie is, is that based on Alien? Aliens? Prob- which one's the one? I think that's Aliens. Anyways. Please continue. It's probably, it probably is, but it's a moment. I don't think it is alien or aliens, but it's when a, when an actor saved a cat in a movie and when an actor saves a cat in a movie, they become likable. Yeah. That's Susan Sarandon and aliens. Uh, Sigourney Weaver. Fuck. <laughs> God damn it. So, uh, it's called the save the cat moment. I don't exactly know the exact origins of it. I just know the meaning behind it of okay, making sure. an actor likable. I'll let it go. I'm going to let it go. We'll look it up and then we'll discuss it later. Because <laughs> I know it's probably going to drive you nuts. Yeah, probably. Do we need to pause right now and find out? No, 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 no. I'm good. I'll, I'll be good. I'm cool. I'm cool. <laughs> but he had this uh, book called Save the Cat. And it was a book on screenwriting, but it wasn't like the other one that everybody reads, which is uh, called Story by Robert McKee. Yeah, that's the one that I've seen all over. All over the stuff. And, and it's, it's, it's all about story and, and it's basically the uh, hero's journey and yada, yada, right, yada. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like all this Joseph Campbell, stuff. yada, yada. Um, I saw him also speak at this expo, Robert McKee. Mm-hmm. And he was also an angry old guy. <laughs> he was grumpy. He was really upset with the, at the time, the Moulin Rouge remake. That's a remake? That's yeah, a remake. With y- Obi-Wan? Yeah. Oh. Obi-Wan and Nicole Kidman. Aquaman's mom. Why was he why was he upset? Because it was garbage. There's no story to it. It's just blah blah blah. Oh man. You watched the original. I think the original is a silent film, even. We should see what his take is on uh Beach Bum. I don't think he's still alive. Oh fuck. <laughs> he might be, even if he is, he's not gonna watch the Beach Bum. No, I was actually referring to the other one that we were talking about earlier. Which one? Uh, the Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman. Yeah. Anyways, I'm derailing your story. <laughs> but he, um, his whole thing was, I think, more practical than all these other screenwriting books. Because uh-huh. you look at all these other screenwriting books, they come from a very uh, intellectual, like from your head space, not from like your creative heart space. Okay. You know, they're very you need to establish this motive and this blah, 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 blah. And it's like all this deep, deep stuff that I don't think anybody really tries to figure out Mm -hmm. until much, much later in the writing process Mm -hmm. or even at all. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's just something, uh, YouTube, what do you call them? Essayists. Essayists. Thank you. Uh, make out to be important. Yeah. There's a new video on YouTube that the director of Shazam and Annabelle Creations, the origin one, and Lights Out, like he's this director, and he James put a, Wan. No, it's not James Wan, but it's this uh, director. I think he's Dutch, but he talks about how this was my day. One day, we had to make a decision about this rope used in this one scene, and so I picked this one rope because I liked it. But then they couldn't get me this one rope, so then they did this, and then they did this. And it was like all these random things happen off this based off this one decision I tried to make, but based on, on what was available, this is what really happened. And I was okay with it and how that's his job every day. is just like compromising with all of these decisions all day long and how he doesn't believe uh, essayists when they look into decisions and the choices made in a final product mm-hmm. that they're real, that they're just implying something's happening when it's really not happening because 
Yeah, like it, like it's assuming too much, uh, too much power. Or it's assuming too much, like intention, right? When there might not be, right? That's a fair point. But also, he's not like a in a position where if he needed to, if he wanted this rope, they would t- stop production for a month if they had to go braid the rope themselves. Somewhere. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah. not in that position where that that would be allowed to happen. But like, if this was uh, James Cameron. If it was James Cameron or uh, Spielberg, yeah, or like a Hitchcock type person, yeah, yeah, they you would wait for that rope. That's you make it happen, okay. yeah. So that's it was an interesting point of view. But this Blake Snyder guy, the guy that wrote Save the Cat, he uh, he he made up this thing called a beat sheet, and it's like at page one you have to establish your opening image. At page fifteen, you need to state your problem or the heroes like it's he had like all these dilemma or whatever is going on he had different names for it and it was Mm -hmm. like uh dark night of the souls when before the third act when everyone is really sad and down and depressed (laughs) and he watches popular popular movies and he applies his beat sheet to these popular movies Mm -hmm. and he's like that was his thing he would watch movies and you would see the same thing happened at around the same point in all these movies that's super interesting and so, um, does this guy make YouTube videos? No, he passed also passed away. God damn it. Yeah. Um, but his, the thing that uh, I liked about that was his like second big thing after the beat sheet was, uh, everybody wants to see the same thing. Nobody wants to see something new. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to see, see the same thing, but different. Do you believe that? I kind of do believe that. Hmm. Um, mostly because I think there are only, seven stories to tell. And if you think about, well, what well, this is a thing that I, I juggle a lot with mm-hmm. and it's like being an artist or being like, a, a an auteur or just being a filmmaker and making movies. Yeah. And so, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like why is it that we look at, um, now of course I'm like failing to grasp examples, but why is it that like, it seems like two distinctly different things between making, um, I don't know, uh, the help or, uh, what's another movie that was like, I don't know what, what 12 years a slave won, uh, the Oscars or some shit like that. Right. It's, it's kind of like, uh, what's the difference between that and, uh, fast and the furious 11. Right. What is, well, I think that's, I think that's not a good comparison. (laughs) Let's see. What would be a good comparison? It would be, what is Fast and the Furious? It's a heist movie. Evidently now. Didn't it used to be about cars? The first one was about cars. The second one was kind of about cars. The third one, I don't, (laughs) haven't even seen it. And then the fourth one was about drug running. Okay. But it would be like, um, have you seen this movie called? No, no. It'd be like kids. You've seen kids, right? Yeah. A lot of people have seen kids, but it's like uh, comparing kids to Goonies. They're both movies about kids. Right. And they're just going through a day. Yeah. You know? But yeah, yeah, okay. So, but the approach is like wildly way different. different. Yeah, yeah. Kids is for a very specific audience. Yeah, Goonies it's like meant to evoke something, right? Yeah, I mean, you still get feelings and stuff in Goonies. Yeah, it's our time down here, right? Goonies never say die. Yeah, but it's it's approached differently. Okay, so so are you? Yeah, there's this uh, Whitney Houston meme when Whitney Houston died. She died on the same day as some like bass player or guitarist uh-huh. that's like really good and wrote all sorts of really awesome stuff that no one's ever heard of. Uh-huh. And there's this meme going around when she passed away. It's like, why is everyone really sad about Whitney Houston? She never wrote any of her own stuff. She'd just show up and sing and then go home. But this other guy would write his own music and record it and master it and do all this. And I'm like, that's the difference between, you know, pulp, pop culture and just following a piece of art that you enjoy. Hmm. And I'm, 
I feel I'm on the side of having a broader audience as opposed to a specific audience. I am not a, huh? I don't, I wouldn't say a tour, but I feel like if I were to compare myself to a lot of kids in film school, yeah. If someone was, uh, there's this other, we, I should actually get him on the podcast. His name's Dave Pike. He runs a screening room now. Oh, okay. He loves underground films. He loves like punk films. I see. Yeah. And it's like underground. Yeah. Uh, grungy, dark, off the wall, surreal. He loves that stuff. That's the kind of stuff he made. And I'm off over here making goofy movies about, you know, two cops solving a crime. Yeah. You know, it's like mummies coming back. We, to we life. both executed our, our films great, but now it's like, yeah, it's like you can't use the same metrics to compare them both or else if you do, then ultimately you have to accept the fact that they are actually similar. Right. Because in creating these false uh, dichotomies where it's like, oh, these are wildly apart, you're creating genres and you're creating intention. You're creating specific like houses for each of these things. Uh -huh. But at the end of the day... If you come back to it, that it's like, hey, this movie was written well, it was filmed well, it was directed well, it was acted well in, and you know this one got meat in the seats and this one didn't, or, or something like that. It's like right. it's like ultimately they're kind of the same thing, right? So it's it's this whole thing of uh, the same but different made me feel okay with telling these stories that seem similar to what was popular uh -huh. or what's been successful. And it just made me feel like I'm, I'm doing okay. So it was, it was basically like it, it to you gave yourself justification for not trying to be like an artiste. Right. You're like, I want to make movies that are good, that are well-made, well thought out, well put together. That people want to watch. And people want to watch. Yeah. And like, I want to tell a story and hopefully that's done well. Right. Yeah. But, but ultimately, I mean, is that not the goal set of, any of these, uh, you know, filmmaker, filmmakers. I think with a lot of filmmakers, it's a lot of uh, write what you know, write what you would enjoy. Mm -hmm. And my point of view has always been like a little broader than that. It's like, what would I enjoy watching with friends? What would yeah. I enjoy mm -hmm. watching with family? Mm -hmm. You know, what would, what can I go to the movies? What movie can I go see with my mom? What yeah. can I go see with my grandmother? Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, stuff like that. That, that really speaks out through what you do, though, because I think you were talking about uh, your grandmother was really into, like when you were making Murder Mystery Night. That was like a heavy influ influence as oh, well. Yeah. That's interesting. It seems to me, you know, without getting too uh, therapist-y, uh, it seems to me that both of your real high influential moments were about like reconciling what you do with any kind of external sort of pressure to do something different or do either live in LA or uh, make something at some art house film or something like that. It was like more about reconciling your identity within what you do and just doing that. Right. Cause there is another side of uh, trying to do what I'm doing because it's not real. It's, it's not a real job. Oh, <laughs> Uh, it's real. Of course, it feels real. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't I don't see how this is any less of a real job than anything else. But it's not a real job. I don't work nine to five. I, you know, barely worked a day last week. I worked two days last week. But, <laughs> but you know, there's weeks where you don't work. There's weeks where you do work. There's weeks where you're working seven days a week. There's yeah, um, Leading up to Murder Mystery Night, you're probably uh, all day, every not day. sleeping. Yeah. But then the flip side of that, like if you compare it to a real job. Right. An office job. Yeah. But the if you look at it from... My point of view, I feel like I'm always working. Right. I'm always thinking about this. I'm trying to figure problems out in my head before I can commit them to paper mm -hmm. while writing. Or what do I need to, who do I need to talk to about this? And it's always going on in your head. So you're right. always yeah, working 24-7. Yeah. But it's hard to explain that to people that only work 9 to 5. Well, yeah, because it's like for them, their work is distinctly separate from not work mm -hmm. because work is when you punch in or when you, you know, do, hit that button on the software that says, you know, you're in and work is over when you're not. 
You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But for you, it's just kind of this nebulous, constant paradigm shift where you're, okay, I may not actually be in my studio editing footage or doing ADR or whatever it is, you know, you do. But right now I'm going to try and meet with this person because they know more about this or, or I'm trying to gain sponsorship for this event or I'm trying to yada, yada, yada. It's like everything is related. In fact, essentially what, what you're doing is you're like simultaneously executing multiple uh, jobs Mm -hmm. at the same time. You know what I mean? Because it's like when you're not actively shooting something, when you're not actively filming, which is the job of a a film maker, well, I don't know what, what you call someone who actually operates a camera, but you get the idea. Uh, camera operator. <laughs> no, no joke. <laughs> okay, for a camera operator, I guess it is that simple. Um, uh, but when you're not actually like operating a camera, then you're like also a chief of staff, or you're a project manager, or you're you know these are all independent roles that these people call a job. Uh-huh. You know, but you're constantly just like doing this shifting kind of motion between job to job to job. And that's why it doesn't fit into this normal, like 40 hour work week kind of structure. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then for my third one, uh, I didn't, I don't really know how to go with it or roll with it, but if it was like a culmination of a few things that happened. Sure. And it was, um, I was, I was potentially going to make a feature with this actor here in town. He was in this Western I made called Fistful of Ugly. It's Mm -hmm. on YouTube. uh, I wrote it. I did not direct it, but I just wrote it. And, uh, he was like, Hey, I like your writing. We should make a project. I have this idea or I have this thing that I do. And he was, he's a, he was, he played basketball in college and he, can walk up to a free throw line and make like 90 in a row. What? Yeah. Just nonstop. He just sits there just crushes. and just goes and he, and he makes it in a way where the ball rolls back to him. So he doesn't even have to go after the ball. He's wow. just like skilled. So just repetitive. Like he knows how to. Okay. And so he had this, uh, he wrote this book and he made up the series called finding the nail. Uh huh. Cause in every free throw line, there's a nail and it's right in the middle of the free throw line. And it lines up directly with the center of the basket. Okay. So you can space yourself properly. Mm. And he did all this, this, uh, free throw stuff. And he always talked about it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, he had this saying, uh, practice doesn't make perfect practice makes permanence. So if you're not practicing perfectly, there's no point. Cause you're just learning bad habits. Mm. You got to, your practice is to make your perfect habit a permanent habit, not right. practice make perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not trying to get to the perfect action. You're tr- going through perfect execution to cement that. As right. Like a, okay. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so th- I, I, don't, I don't remember what other time or if it was even more recent than that, but it was this other thing about perfection mm-hmm. and that perfe- progress, progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I got that from, mm-hmm. but that was like another thing that was happening. And so just the idea of actually doing something and being okay with it, not being perfect, but learning from mistakes or, you know, trying something new and seeing how it turns out. That's, that's been really helpful. Yeah. You are really big on execution. It's just cause it's, I feel like these screenings have been the most helpful out of anything I've ever done. Any book I've ever read, any experience, like having a screening of something that I've made, watching an audience react to it as nerve wracking as it is, <laughs> is the most influential yeah, yeah, on yeah. decisions I make in trying to pursue this and continuing to pursue it. Mm-hmm. If I did Eddie mummy and nobody showed up and nobody had a good time, we would not have had murder mystery night. That's true. And if we had murder mystery night and no, it didn't, you know, I thought we could have had a bigger crowd, but there's a solid crowd there. Mm-hmm. And the crowd was very, I thought, uh, into the movies. Rea- very reactive, very focused, uh, very like engaged. I would and say. And so it's just like if that wasn't, if that wasn't happening, that I wouldn't still have. Like, oh, like we were talking, I think off mic about trying to keep everybody excited and on board. Oh yeah. Without mm-hmm. you know 
money basically. Yeah. Uh, if I didn't have those experiences at the screening, I would not be, I would still be asking myself, why am I still doing this? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 It would have, it would have that, that question about why am I doing this, you know, would have been less cemented. It's like now you actually have the like experience to draw back on. Right. Right. Yeah. Huh. But yeah, those have been some things that have kept me going. Yeah. Yeah. But just progress, not perfection and just not being afraid to put something out. Just got to do it. You just got to, yeah, it's okay. If it doesn't look good the first time, do it again. If you don't like it the first time, just redo it. Keep going. Hmm. Stand by to get some stand, stand by to get some (laughs) phone states. That's uh, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, hopefully, you know, and, and like you've, you've stated, it's all about the right time and the right place and the right person and stuff like that. And, you know, I can't really know for sure who, is listening because it by this many episodes, it's like I don't think just my friends continue to listen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like people who are listening now are actually interested, ostensibly. So hopefully, it's like it's one of those really super corny things. But when you're young, you think that things don't apply to you, or like general stuff like that doesn't work or doesn't happen. But it really kind of does. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's kind of what you start to learn. Uh, as you go. So I don't know. I hopefully maybe this doesn't save anyone some time, but maybe you hear the right thing. You hear the, that piece of advice, or maybe more importantly, you have conflicting stuff and this is telling you that you are in the right place or maybe you're in the wrong place or something like that. Right. I don't know. It always, uh, you never know the, the medium and, and when that's going to strike, but that's, uh, yeah. But yeah. And don't be afraid to break down or just take a sliver of any advice that's given to you. Yeah. I mean, you can watch an hour and a half of beach bum, right? But you only need to watch two and a half minutes. That's right. It was really only the two minutes that, that, uh, that's yeah. And, uh, I think Bruce Lee said it, he was specifically speaking about martial arts styles, but I think it applies to everything. It's like, take what works for you independently and discard the rest. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't have to learn the full style. Just learn the stuff that works for you. Right. If something does not work for you and is proven to not work, it's like discard it just because mm-hmm. it works for everyone else. doesn't mean it's going to for you. Right. And I think that's actually another reason why I used to think that there was like a pre-formulated or pre-fabricated path with which I would be safe. You know what I mean? Like I have these demonstrated abilities and these demonstrated habits and all that kind of stuff. So therefore I should do this and that's going to be safe. And there is no such thing. No such thing. Yeah. Safe is safe is boring. Safe is boring. And ultimately, I don't know, depending on, you know, how you feel like, I don't, I don't really have any opinions about an afterlife or anything like that. But what I can think for sure is this, it's like, even if there is one or whether there is or whether there isn't, this is kind of my one shot at this you know, whatever this is, Mm -hmm. this experience. So it would be a real tragedy to waste it. That was meant to come out more optimistically than, (laughs) than uh, it did. That was a downer. That was, but that that was really like, I thought that was a positive thing. (laughs) I need to rethink my positive statement. In your head, that was very positive. Yeah. I guess it was positive. You know, you you only get one life, one shot, one opportunity. Mom's spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> would you capture it or would you let it slip? Mom spaghetti? Mom. Never let that slip. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Creativize, Strategize, and Synergize. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, share, and leave a rating. We'd really appreciate it. You can find Chris on social media using the handle at Elephant Scout. You can find me with at Atish Mazish. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter with at CSS Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at cscottcreate.com. Thank you so much.